0: Cawdry, trashy, jerry-rigged, crude, slipshod, slapdash, junky, crappy, ass backwards, shoddy. Each of these adjectives lives somewhere in the vicinity of each of the others, but each has its own history, its own trajectory. The Oxford English Dictionary tells me that the term slapdash was already being applied to things being done quickly, carelessly, or negligently by the late 17th century. That's a fairly straight line, but sometimes the paths our words travel are crooked. Though few people know or remember this, shoddy, which we now use as one of these disparaging adjectives, was once a thing, a noun. It was a textile made from recycled wool, and it wasn't even necessarily a bad thing. In her fascinating book, Shoddy, From Devil's Dust to the Renaissance of Rags, historian Hannah Rose Schell, a professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, recounts the story of this material from its origins in the British Industrial Revolution to its becoming an adjective of abuse. Along the way, Shell raises a number of important and interesting topics, including the long history of reuse and recycling, and how forms of technology and work become tied to social status. With Shadi, it was the anxieties of low-class, low-status work, and poverty. Shell and I also discuss how individual technologies become mirrors for the worries, fears, hatreds, and other feelings of society. How when we look into the history of any technology, we often see ourselves reflected back. I hope you enjoy this interview. I had a lot of fun doing it. Get excited. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today.
1: Thanks, Lee. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I really enjoyed reading Shoddy. Um, when you when you talk about it with strangers or have to introduce it to a new audience, how do you explain what the book is about and what it was trying to do?
1: Um. Well, that's a great question. Uh, so actually, I'd say the answer to that question really depends a lot on like where I am, um, mm-hmm. because with something like Shoddy, even like the word Shoddy, when you say it what it means to people uh, at the outset really depends a lot on where they are. Um, So certainly in terms of introducing the project uh, in most places in the U.S. and I'll say, oh, I'm working on a book about shoddy and they'll say shoddy. And I'll say, yeah, shoddy isn't what you think it is. You think it's a word that an adjective that just means, you know, uh, shoddy work or like a bad job, but actually it's a noun that refers to you know, this really seminal material that speaks to the history of recycling. Um, But, you know, it's a different story if I'm in uh, the UK, uh, in the UK, where shoddy, uh, this thing called shoddy uh, originated, a lot of people there actually already have a context for thinking about this thing called shoddy as a material thing. Um,
0: Mm.
1: So they have a different, they have a different access point already to the to the topic.
0: Explain in the uh, basic sense, like for the audience, what what is shoddy in this old sense and not like the more recent sense where it means cruddy or bad work. What is shoddy?
1: Got it. Um, OK, so shoddy, although initially um, we all think about it in terms of being like low class, kind of an adjective. Uh, initially, shoddy was not just an adjective, it was a thing. Um, And shoddy kind of came into existence in the early 19th century as a material entity, Um, and it was a material entity made out of two different kinds of wool products, one of those wool products being the kind of detritus, the leftover materials, the clippings um, from the new wool industry in in, uh, England, Um, and on the other hand, the kind of shredded up leftovers of old collected woolen clothing. Um, Mm -hmm. So shoddy was a material kind of made out of woolen waste uh, which then went into the production of new kinds of clothing and textile goods. Mm
0: -hmm. Earlier you wrote a a book about camouflage and and photography which is another book I really liked. So how did you come start working on shoddy as a project?
1: Uh, How did I get to shoddy? Well actually the origins of the shoddy project. really, to me, came out of uh, a film that I made in the early, uh, early 2000s, I guess, about secondhand clothing more generally, um, and about like secondhand clothing and its meaning and it's kind of like social connections to uh, immigrant communities that kind of collect it, sell it, wear it. Mm -hmm. And it was in the context of producing that film uh, that I first came across this thing called Shoddy um actually in a like world war one newspaper clipping that i found in like um on microfilm at 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 widener library at harvard and i found this term shoddy used in the context of secondhand clothing that's been shredded um in to to make like a new thing um Mm -hmm. and it just totally stuck with me and i like printed out the article and put it on my board um And it took me a while to like professionally get to the point in my career where i could come back to shoddy and kind of explore that uh but that's that's where it where it came from um conceptually it's like connected in a in a certain kind of way with my camouflage book and the camouflage project um Mm -hmm. which you know i can also address
0: yeah well i want to to talk about that for a second that sounds interesting
1: yeah, absolutely. So I'd say, actually, the things that to me were really um, seem kind of connected is uh, I got really interested first in secondhand clothing mm-hmm. and the kind of meanings and th- that get kind of wrapped up in secondhand clothing uh, and ways in which, like, identity and the way that the, the, the body's presented ends up being informed by secondhand articles all different kinds of articles and that seemed to me kind of really interesting in relation to camouflage in animals uh Mm. in terms of just this idea of the skin um and of the surfaces of the of the body or of the animal body uh and how they are crafted and kind of recrafted on the surface whether through kind of textiles uh in the realm of humans or kind of furs and skins um, in the case of animals uh, and then, you know, for in the camouflage project, uh, I ended up kind of moving from the idea of camouflage as something that, uh, evolves on the animal body to something that's more, uh, a human te- set of human technologies, um, yeah. instead of kind of human strategies for creating and crafting a, uh, a cloth body that, um, I don't know. I'm like in a brain part mode. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, um, I mean, you're
0: talking about kind of like how it goes from being this animal evolved thing to, to a human technology, basically.
1: Yeah, it goes from being like a like an animal evolved thing to a human technology, um, yeah. camouflage does. And I guess I also started to think about like secondhand clothing and textiles in general as being this human technology yeah. that ends up really like playing a part in the way that we present ourselves um yeah and more generally like in the way that capitalism works or the way that um you know the way that all sorts of things work
0: yeah i mean i've always taught um not just textile manufacturing technology but you know clothing as technology and i feel like your work really draws that that out better than that better than most um because i think we always when we talk about technology and clothing we're usually just talking about the stuff that makes it but You really draw attention to the clothing as a technology too
1: for sure i mean i think clothing is definitely a place where uh really brings out the relationship between technology and the self and between you know the relationship between the construction of identity and the construction of tools um that transmit you know transmit meaning transmit material you know materials and and uh I definitely think that, um, in the case of, of shoddy, which is this like secondhand textile material that f- creates these new kind of fabrics. Um, the fact that like shoddy ended up becoming this really anxious, ang- angsty, the, the fact that shoddy of all recycled things ended up having this neg- negative valence, yeah. um, really does connect, I think, to the fact that people's bodies, things are so proximate on our bodies,
0: mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I'm going to ask you more about that later. I mean, it's just it's so striking how anxiety producing this stuff was for its whole history. Um, Yeah, I I really love the way you, you begin the book with kind of stories of your research trips to England. It sounds like it sounds like you had a great time, but also just the trips themselves were very memorable for you.
1: For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. When I began this project, I was. Really just, I was so compelled by learning just that there was this thing called shoddy. And I thought that was so mm-hmm. weird. Uh, and then was so interested to learn that there was actually like a place in England where this thing had been made. Um, and I then I felt so compelled to like go there, like just to go there mm-hmm. with, with, with basically nothing, with like no knowledge, having done no, you know, no, no real research. And I just had so much like excitement and passion um, to see what I would find. And... Uh, and I just so I think I just had a very open mind Um, and yeah absolutely I ended up meeting some incredible people Mm -hmm. um a lot of incredible people that were really surprised that I was even interested
0: Uh
1: um and therefore I think were extra kind of just friendly and and uh interested and interesting
0: giving yeah yeah um yeah so for people who haven't heard of this industry where where is it kind of economically centered in england and what are what are the towns involved
1: the shoddy industry emerged in west yorkshire uh which is an area in northern england and is the kind of seat of the textile industry and in some sense at least of the wool based industrial revolution Mm -hmm. in uh in england uh that there's a there are the towns um so Bradford and Leeds are two rail industrial centers that played a really huge role in the wool industry in the 19th century. Um, there were a series of small towns that kind of are flanked by Leeds and Bradford, huh. uh, and that became known as kind of the heavy woolen district or, uh, and it's sort of a triangle that, which became where Shoddy was, was developed. So there's Batley and Dewsbury, and then another town called Wakefield. Um, and this, these became towns where a lot of kind of like little factories uh, sprang up to take in the waste products from these larger wool towns and, and create mm-hmm. a new thing.
0: You show in the book that, you know, rag collecting in the image of the rag, the rag man, the rag collector goes way back in history. I mean, you really point to the kind of long history of reuse and and recycling. But. But this story of the shoddy industry really emerges with the Industrial Revolution. So why why does it emerge when it does? And yeah,
1: by and large, uh, up until the Industrial Revolution, um, there was textile reuse and textile recycling, as you mentioned. So on the one hand, you know, there were these kind of itinerant tradespeople, peddlers who might go from town to town uh buying and selling old clothes um on the and on the other hand there was a lot of kind of reuse, rewear, regifting within families let's say mm-hmm. um and on the third hand wool waste uh would have been you know was used as fertilizer sometimes it would just be dumped in people's yards uh you know in one's own yard let's say to help fertilize flowers or to, to as a fertilizer But it was in the Industrial Revolution, or once you had the Industrial Revolution in the early 19th century, um, there just became a lot of, first of all, a lot of wool waste and a lot of waste that started to be generated from the uh, wool industry. So rather than, you know, there being piecework and people kind of making stuff on their own, there would be this kind of like centralized mills. uh, And when you were so enclosed, there would be these leftovers. Um, and and mm-hmm. even and with wool scouring so the cleaning of wool became this giant industrial operation as opposed to something happening um, And so you'd end up with a lot of wool You know dirty wool um, And meanwhile mm-hmm. there were also just became more and more and more clothes So collecting old clothing also became something that could be done on a more kind of industrial
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, Capitalism heavy scale. Yeah, And and meanwhile, at the same time, once you had increasing flow of new textiles happening, you know, across the English Channel, you could also you also ended up getting a kind of return flow of rags and of old clothes.
0: Um, So, you know, part of the Industrial Revolution, especially, I think, later in the 19th century, is about the the introduction of specialized machinery. And that's part of the story here, too. So what are what is what is some of the specialized machinery that that emerges in the shoddy industry?
1: Oh, sure. That's a great question. I love talking about the specialized shoddy, um, shoddy uh, machinery. So one thing that is often credited or often seen as like the tech, the technological uh, progenitor of. The production of shoddy is um, a machine, which is like a rag picking machine, uh, which very early on was called the devil. So it was a rag picking machine um, that mm-hmm. would kind of pick, pick out, pick, pick apart the rags with you know a series of swifts, um, kind of like a modified carding machine. Um, that was, you know, the dates when it was first developed are a little up in the air. People like to say that there was a man named Benjamin Law who uh, invented it at a certain moment at a certain yeah. time in, uh, in Batley. The reality is that like one doesn't really know, but quite soon this machine called the devil uh, became very pervasive and became kind of completely synonymous with the shoddy
0: industry. Yeah, and it produces a lot of d- dust, right? I mean, that's part of your title, um, which which has all kinds of consequences, including health consequences for the workers.
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, the subtitle of my book, uh, The Renaissance of Devil's Dust and the Renaissance of Rags. All right. I mean, devil's dust. uh, So shoddy, the shoddy industry does produce a lot of dust. Um, And I think that. Well, a few things. So one is, yes, absolutely. The dust produced by the shoddy industry is and was dangerous and cause causes all sorts of respiratory diseases um you know as is the case with a lot of aspects of the textile industry
0: yeah
1: um but it certainly did end up adding to the association of shoddy with a kind of dangerousness right and a kind of low, low value so devil's dust became a kind of moniker for actually not only the dust produced as the kind of waste product of the rag shredding process, yeah. but actually also began to be associated with the very shoddy materials that were being produced. Mm-hmm. Um, devil's dust, obviously referring to this machine called the devil, right. um, but also then kind of beginning to grant shoddy in general this kind of like negative uh, mm-hmm. and somewhat malicious, malicious connotations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think you cover this really well in the book. You write the notion that the shoddy machinery was somehow morally suspect proved hard to quell. So why why did it become morally suspect? What where Why does that emerge?
1: A number of different reasons. So on the one hand, there's a, a kind of um, incentive on the part of the new wool industry that emerges very early on to yeah. kind of like make the shoddy industry look bad. Um, mm-hmm. because the shoddy industry co- potentially kind of undercuts their market. Um, if new cl- if clothes are being made out of shoddy material, shoddy wool, they're not being made out of new wool. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing is that there was that kind of incentive uh, to, to sort of look down maybe on, make shoddy look bad. Uh, but there was also a way in which, especially in that early 19th century period, um, shoddy became, uh, really synonymous with, uh, and really seemed to exemplify, I guess, uh, a lot of the ills that were being seen generally in the kind of new world of mm. capitalism and of factories. Right.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: and it just, it seemed it had, it had all of these qualities. I mean, the very fact that it was associated with old clothing and with sort of poor people and poor people shredding up other people's dirty yeah. old clothes that kind of like added to the weight of being able to say like, Oh, these factories are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the kind of more like land-owning classes ability to really say like, you need to keep the power with us and, and mm-hmm. kind of try to keep put, put down a little bit the, um, the, the the power and growth of these factory owners
0: yeah was i mean what do we know about the workers was was the work were they poorer and was the work worse than you know other textile industries or was or it or was it just like they became some kind of symbol of this you know evil
1: yeah so were the shoddy workers actually any worse off than the text yeah. than the you know wool scour workers um that's a really good question I kind of feel like the people that lived in certain towns would end up working in the shoddy industry. Uh, I do think that, I don't know, honestly, I'm not totally sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. (laughs) Well, I mean, it also also just means
1: yes. I mean, at least in the way that it's hard not to listen to like, um, karl marx or like Engel, yeah right like they are really down on this shoddy industry and they really yeah. use shoddy as like a stand-in for the absolute worst the absolute ills of the capitalist system Yeah. and so it's hard not to kind of be a little bit um persuaded by by them um
0: yeah no i mean it's amazing when you go through that that first chapter act one and you know, you're showing these kind of famous 19th century authors and politicians like Thomas Carlyle and Marx and Engels and Benjamin Disraeli, who are debate, you know, using this industry as kind of like an example in in their writings. Did you, were you expecting that when you were like going back from World War One that that you were going to find it being so central to these debates?
1: No way, not at all. I mean, that was one of the many things about this project, this book that's so exciting to me. Not at all. I mean, this was just like, nobody had written anything about Shoddy. I just got interested in it. And yeah, like, the deeper I looked and, you know, both by talking to the people I met and engaging with people in these towns, but also like digging into the archives um the more I, I was shocked that this thing called shoddy could have actually engendered so much discussion and yeah. consideration like both as a metaphor as a material and as a kind of you know economic process among these like really important characters right
0: mm-hmm. um yeah
1: you have like marx and you have Carlyle and you have disraeli these are like really important intellectual figures in, you know, the way that yeah. we think about the 19th century. So, no, that was a, that was a, uh, a, something that, that, as I, as I started to put it together, really like amazed me um, and sort yeah. of left me a little bit breathless, honestly, like, whoa.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you would, you know, if you were just reading Marx in class or whatever, and you saw some paragraph about shoddy, you would just be like, okay, pass over it. But like, when you take all these different texts and put them together, it really stands out. What a, what a major example it was for these folks writing about their moment.
1: Yeah. And I think I found it honestly, like pretty validating. Yeah. You know, that my like sparky inspiration in this shoddy, like shoddy used to be a noun that's interesting. And I think a lot of people were like when I started the project, like that's random why yeah. would you write about that you know i mean which <laughs> right. they've done with projects i've done before and i was like no i think it's a really good i really want to pursue it and when i did start putting together this bigger picture um yeah this like dis- it, even you know there's the 19th century picture picture even just that industrial british picture that you know yeah. marks i was like wow all right like this is going to be a project you know it really started to build into something um that I felt like I could really stand on in a way.
0: Yeah. I love that. So like so many elements of, uh, you know, the British industrial revolution, it, it eventually becomes more than British and it, and it spreads. So you, you, you also show how the the shoddy industry emerges, uh, uh, in the United States and, you know, especially around the civil war, Uh, becomes an important moment. So how did the fabric and the industry fit into kind of American struggles when you when you turn your attention there?
1: Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So just as you as you sort of point out, the shoddy industry did relatively quickly end up kind of migrating, you could say, from um, from northern England uh, over to the United States around like the 1820s, 1830s. Uh, And the shoddy industry uh, sort of, Became built up in a way alongside the textile industries that we um, know so much about, in like Lowell and Massachusetts, and especially in um, New England. Uh, and that industry ended up creating the kinds of clothing that would have been created in England, which was mostly kind of uh, slightly lower quality um, suits and clothes for the middle class, or the lower middle class, I guess but also in the United States ended up playing a really big role in the supply of the Southern plantations. So mm-hmm. actually one of the things that be- began to be happening is that the shoddy manufacturer that was going on in the United States, uh, ended up being producing materials that were either shoddy wool or shoddy wool and cotton blends that became the clothes that would then be shipped down to, uh, basically clothe slaves on plantations. Um, and this was, you know, obviously from the beginning, even before the Civil War, uh, already in and of itself kind of problematizes notions that some people have that somehow like New England industry and the southern, you know, the plantation economy were somehow separate. Yeah. Um, so the shoddy industry and shoddy fabric ends up being used uh, on plantations um, to, to to sew these clothing. and. But meanwhile, alongside this, uh, as the kind of things heated up and the Civil War kind of got going, um, these same companies that were producing shoddy fabric for the slave market um, ended up kind of transitioning their process and their product to kind of instead to clothing Union soldiers. So Mm -hmm. um, at a certain point, they stopped being able to supply what they would have called Negro cloth or slave cloth to the south and began and instead you know being kind of government contractors working producing cloth for uh for union soldiers
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, now this shoddy material and shoddy in general is not necessarily worse per se than right. new wool fibers if you like start with a high quality uh waste wool or discarded wool wool clothing you're not, and you shred it up and you reweave it, you're not necessarily gonna get that much lower quality uh, of a good. However, in the U.S. Civil War, it sort of so happened that there was just a lot of really shoddy, shoddy being (laughs) made. Um, Uh And in a a pretty inopportune context, because uh, it so happened that there was a lot of really low, uh, a lot of really badly made uniforms ended up being supplied to soldiers.
0: so, so is this what became, you find this this kind of sense of the word comes from? Is is this moment shoddy as shoddy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think you see a little bit of this shoddy as shoddy uh coming up in some of the sort of poetic writing mm-hmm. in England around, you know, by the eighteen forties, eighteen fifties. But it's really in the United States when shoddy begins to be used for making uniforms in the civil war that like shoddy really becomes shoddy in the public imagination yeah. um, because we, this the civil war is like this era in america where there's so much kind of newspaper coverage a lot of newspaper coverage, a lot of images mm. a lot of newspapers circulating with reports and there just started being a lot of accounts in the news of uh really bad uniforms so if union soldiers wearing uniforms that just kind of powder away yeah like melt off their bodies uh and so you know shoddy becomes shoddy
0: mm-hmm.
1: shoddy millionaires there just become a lot of ways of of mocking um mocking and really uh a, a lot of animosity towards new england manufacturers mm-hmm. um, as a result of you know this kind of what what ended up being a kind of visible uh, and much talked about role of shoddy in the uh, kind of ineffective yeah outfitting of the
0: i mean it must have been so you know you leave home and you go into like what most for many of these men and women like were the most difficult times of their lives and then the clothing is falling apart in them it's just a bad timing I guess as much as anything right
1: (laughs) yeah it's bad timing and it's like I don't want to say bad optics right because I
0: bad optics (laughs) but it's like
1: really bad optics especially because the stuff that's falling apart is like you know blankets that say like United States of America on it (laughs) right right? you know what I mean it's not just their socks it's like their brand their socks and and their their union is
0: falling apart yeah their
1: union is falling apart like and the very things that they're wearing right which mm-hmm. should be kind of like wrapping them in the kind of security or the power, or the strength of the union. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow they're disintegrating or mm-hmm. flying away into powder. Uh, so it's sort of metaphorically really awful.
0: Yeah. You, there's a really striking section uh, in that act two of, um, of battleground scenes of, of war dead um, and I thought I knew that genre pretty well of photography, but there was some number of photos in there I'd never seen before. So, how did you know? What do you see in the the these photos as a kind of historian of shoddy and of textiles that maybe most of us who just see you know uh, battleground photography are missing?
1: Yeah. So great. Um, so those there are these really like you mentioned these really famous and kind of iconic images of the Civil War by by Gardner, by Thomas Brady, these, you know, famous images of these dead corpses on battlefields in the sort of wake of these incredibly, like, violent and dramatic battles. Uh, And these are, like, these images are very I think most americans anyway see at least some of them like even in high school yeah they're high school textbooks yeah um and then they they certainly also figure very heavily in any kind of history of like american photography yeah uh so you know a a big debate that there's that there often is a discussion generally is like were these real or were they posed Mm. you know that's a big thing like were they posed Um, or were they actual scenes? Um, and people ended up discovering that they were actually posed and this and that. But I guess I just, I saw something in them that I think I hadn't, I certainly hadn't seen before getting really interested in like textiles and, and shoddy and stuff, which was just like the, um, the centrality of all the uniforms and the blankets Mm. in the pictures, which just hadn't hadn't really computed for me and also like aren't really commented on normally. Normally it's about these corpses, these like white ashen corpses. Um, and I just got really interested in the kind of materiality of these textiles and, and the way in which they really were like wrapping, I mean, they were like shrouds. They seemed so like connected, uh, to the, to the bodies, to these dead bodies,
0: uh, Mm -hmm. and
1: just somehow so, so, so meaningful. Um, and I, I guess I just really kind of started started digging into those those uniforms, um, as, and really connecting them, I guess, to all of this language and all of the ways in which the um, the war, civil war, and the tragedy of it was talked about in relation to the tragedy of these disintegrating yeah. uh, low quality army uniforms. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me. I guess then that pushed me in a direction of thinking about, you know, the relationship of a textile, any kind of like discarded textile from a dead body, uh, like in a shroud of tourney kind of way, the kind of spiritual or symbolic relationship that that might have to actually like a photograph. Um, Mm -hmm. There's something about those civil war photographs that, you know, you, you mentioned that are so like talismanic yeah. They're not just photographs, right? They're kind of like symbolic. They're part of a whole national discourse mm-hmm. about death and memory. And um, and so I began to kind of think about the relationship between discarded uniforms from dead bodies and the photographs that end up being taken of, of them and mm-hmm. disseminated.
0: Um in the next act of, of the book, you you turn to uh, the late 19th and early 20th century and there shoddy is connected to a, a lot of issues. But one of them is, you know, this is the moment of immigration and, and anxiety about immigrants and and cities, right? Worries about kind of the urban spaces and poverty and this. And they're like, there we find shoddy again. Uh, and so like, wh- why do you think that, shoddy continued to be so tied to anxieties uh even in this kind of later period
1: mm, yeah yeah shoddy is pretty tied to anxieties um so you know i think shoddy i think in many ways the anxieties surrounding shoddy only heat up in this later period um, mm. this later period sees the emergence and the kind of vindication of germ theory Uh, And so I think a lot of the kind of anxiety, worry, negative association with shoddy that had existed because, you know, kind of like, oh, is it really okay to be wearing this material that's made of shredded up dead people's clothing, you know, but more of a kind of like spiritual quasi-religious worry um, became kind of really focused on like the question of germs, right? Yep. Um, And on this this issue of like, okay now we know that disease is mostly caused by germs or we're still debating it. But we've got the where do these germs live? You know, do these germs live on old clothes? And if so, like, that's really a source of anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that late 19th century period is when there's really like a, a, a kind of. Sharpening of focus on rags and on shoddy as being possible conduits of um of 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 disease with a kind of like actual mechanism in mind Mm -hmm. Um, and that that happens to coincide in in the american context with the kind of real ratcheting up of immigration yeah Um, and so at the same time as there's this new concern about disease agents Mm -hmm. um, being transmitted in clothing and old clothing, and in, in relation to the shoddy industry, the same kind of anxieties emerge uh, in discussions about the kind of inflow, I guess you could say, of, um, of people and of new inhabitants in the country.
0: Yeah. I don't, your your book led me to kind of uh, some kind of philosophical re- reflection or something about what we do as historians. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, you if you track... Any object through time, you can kind of see that thing become a mirror for the world it inhabits at different times. You know, my first book is a history of automobile regulation, and it follows the car from, like, the very first car in the United States to, like, the present. And what, you know, you can kind of use it to um, use the car as a way of studying governance is what I do in that book, right? I mean, it's like you can kind of see the world reflected in the object and how people deal with it. But I I just like it was so striking to me how shoddy was a kind of mirror of anxiety throughout like the history you tell, you know, and that even though you go from these very early moments in in England to 100 years later in the United States. And it's just like, you know, it's a mirror of worry or something like that and and consternation amongst different publics. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, why do you think that is? What is it about this stuff?
1: um yeah i think that people in general and across time are really concerned about their connections with other people mm-hmm. um but also their individual identities and yeah. i think that this stuff really like gets it especially if you're dealing with your clothing your clothing's getting shredded up and ending up on other people's bodies. I think it really gets to the core of a lot of anxiety mm. that we generally just like have as humans. Yeah. Um, and, but I think shoddy because it, it so often couldn't be identified. Like you didn't know where it was. Um, also just like really taps into anxiety around, you know, things we don't see or things we can't about kind of authenticity. Yeah. Um, So I don't know, that's...
0: Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, it's kind of the juncture between our relationship to other people and our own identity. And that's, those things are always fraught, right? And they're always deeply interrelated.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think shoddy too is a real, I see it as a real um, metaphor for like what innovation is. I mean, Mm. innovation is always, in well, I'm not, I'm not a, I didn't write a book about innovation, but I mean, it seems like innovation is always about creating new materials and new tools out of the knowledge that comes before and out of the materials that come before. And shoddy is in its like very nature about finding ways to kind of literally grind up the... Materials that have already been made, like the clothes that yeah. already have been made, and even like recrafting the tools that were used to initially um, produce those items to create something new, to create like a new market, to create a new mm-hmm. industry, and that's also kind of you know produces a lot of a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Um, but I think there is like also this yeah this very kind of like spiritual mm-hmm. anxiety that really gets to the core of just being a person. And, you know, having all of your own personness, like your own yeah. stinky smell that stinks up your your shirt. And yeah, um, for sure,
0: that's nice. So your, your epilogue shoddy renaissance deals with the, the legacy of the shoddy industry in places like West Yorkshire, where the, the industry lasted, you know, late 20th century. And, you know, you even find these kind of agricultural fertilizer heaps to to there's great photograph of one of them. So what what would we expect to see? What are remnants of the shoddy industry left over that if we visited these places, we, we might actually see it if we were tuned into these things?
1: So I right now, um, as the wool industry has kind of gone from from. England um and in fact the textile world in general has been so overtaken with you know synthetic fibers in general this like original thing called shoddy there isn't that much of it because there isn't actually that yeah. much old waste or, or at least there isn't that much wool shoddy uh one of the things that's really remarkable though and I think is like a testament to this whole idea of like shoddy is actually like a productive metaphor
0: yeah. um
1: for you know moving forward in the world is that this like you know, still pretty, pretty uh, depressed region in Northern England, um, where they used to be making shoddy from, from wool waste, Uh, now has all of these kinds of shoddy related industries. So Hmm. right now, even though the wool industry is gone, there is a lot of industry that's kind of connected to it, a kind of next iteration, which involves collecting secondhand clothing, uh, mostly synthetics at this point Mm -hmm. from all over England. um, And then they get shredded and ground into, well, what I call shoddy, um, Mm -hmm. what they call flock. So Hmm. they don't necessarily refer to this as shoddy, but it's like ground up secondhand clothing, which then becomes actually, you know, carpet, padding, uh, moving blankets, Uh, and in that region as well there's currently a pretty active bedding industry Mm -hmm. um, and that's also kind of connected to this latter-day shoddy type industry um, because a lot of these this flock uh material ends up being turned into kind of mattress padding and going in the inside of uh and
0: you show that yeah that that goes way back to in your book you show that mattresses and such were. Yeah, I mean, that's a source of of anxiety. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, a lot of people in the United States and Europe probably don't think about the market for secondhand clothing beyond like maybe going to Goodwill or thrift stores, especially as as young people. But uh, in the film you made with uh, your your co-director, secondhand Pepe, it really disabuses us that the idea of this market has somehow disappeared. Right. and you're talking about it now you were just talking about it how how it's kind of spun off in yorkshire but your, your film really focuses on haiti so if we kind of zoom out from england in the us like what is the market for uh secondhand clothing look like in on the globe in the globe today
1: um yeah so one way to get into thinking about like the vastness of the um international secondhand clothing industry is yeah. to really like start from the point where I think a lot of us might, which is when we donate clothing to an organization like Goodwill. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes there's like a general assumption, um, or at least, you know, there has been for a long time, that when you do that, you're giving your sweater to Goodwill and Goodwill is going to just like find a nice person to give yeah. it to, right? There's right. somebody who needs it and you don't know where, but they're probably, maybe they're going to be on like the other side of your neighborhood, you know, right. or they're going to be on the other, you know, the other, another part of the city. You just don't know at a yeah. homeless shelter. Um, the reality is that that is very, 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 very rarely the case. Huh. Um, and even when you donate that article to Goodwill, it's also very unlikely that it's even going to end up on the shelf for sale at your local Goodwill.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, what's much more likely to happen is that uh, it's going to become part of like masses and masses and masses of, of uh, donated secondhand clothing, which will then be sorted somewhere in, in the US normally um, or, or, you know, sorted bailed into different categories, mm-hmm. um, and then shipped in giant bales, like all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so different markets will be found for different kinds of goods. There'll be mm-hmm. like the mix of clothing that's meant for West Africa and the mix that's meant for Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, these, w- whereas I, for in the United States, a lot of, a lot of this begins with like a donation that goes to charity organizations or nonprofits pretty soon after you give those clothing to nonprofits, there ends up being a middleman, you know, who's a Mm -hmm. for-profit company. And then there might be several, several layers of middlemen or middle people, um, that kind of end up, you know, and you end up with the clothing being sold potentially in a small village. Uh, well in terms of the clothing I traced in, in Haiti, Mm -hmm. um, or, or somewhere else, but the sort of initial act of charity or giving, um you know ends up being just the first step in a huge what what's in, what ends up is a huge international
0: trade i yeah. imagine these bales for some reason i think of like commodities like coffee or tea where there's like different grades or something what how do they do you know how they like categorize these different bales like what is the basis of that
1: you know, it's really interesting because I, I met and I've talked to a lot of like clothing, used clothing sorters over the years hmm. and, you know, just the way that they, a lot of it is they distinguish with touch. So, um, you huh. know, you feel things, so you, you know, I mean, people, there can be a different, different things that people are looking for, but you might feel yeah. things to figure out are they synthetic or they wool? Mm-hmm. um, you know, these days, I guess a lot of sorting happens you know, you might sort stuff, some, some stuff would be sorted out for like wiper rags for making rags for the auto industry. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have a grade for like, um, summer clothing and summer clothing might end up getting shipped more like to, to the Caribbean or to Africa. Uh-huh. Winter parkas could get created into a bale that then would go to Russia. Okay. Um, okay. So, so that's yeah. there's bales. So there's, there's, um, so that's like more like in relation to geography. Yeah. Um. But there's also grades in terms of quality. So you might have hmm. T-shirts that are like grades one, two, and three. Um, okay. You know, grade three T-shirts might end up going to a different market than some other ones.
0: That's really interesting. So what's up next for you? What do you? What's your next project?
1: Well. Great question, Lee. <laughs> um, I, I asked so this. One thing is,
0: <laughs> Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, no, it's a really good question. Um, I'm working on two projects right now. So one project is uh, about turning the shoddy, developing the shoddy book. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I made a lot of film while I was yeah. researching the shoddy book, which is separate from you know the material that was in that my second hand. Pepe movie. So one project I have is developing and using incorporating some of that material to create a more like multimedia, um, and kind of time-based shoddy project. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's kind of one thing that I'm working on right now. The other thing is that I'm working on a, a project about a astronomical observatory in the Rocky mountains, a kind of mysterious and abandoned, uh, astronomical observatory that was, um, created in 1940 uh and just had a mysterious and miraculous life um that you know taps into all of these yeah
0: and did you stumble on that just because that's where you live and became aware of it or
1: oh the new project so yeah yeah, the new project's really cool um i yeah i just i i kind of stumbled on learning about this observatory um this observatory was actually uh, was the first coronagraph built in the in the United States, and it was built by somebody who ended up becoming, um, you know, one of the founders of climate science I'm one mm-hmm. of the first people to really like see or foresee problems of climate change. Um, mm-hmm. And I just I became really fascinated by him, and he he had come from. Uh, Cambridge. He He was a Harvard graduate student that kind of got randomly sent out to uh, Colorado by his dissertation okay. advisor. And I think, you know, I just got very wrapped up in the story of his drive across the country and the romance with his wife. And I, I think I just began to really like connect with his journey. Um, and somehow then started digging into this observatory, you know, in the same way that maybe I did with that article about Shadi and mm-hmm. just getting having it really open up a an interesting world that's Um, awesome yeah i look
0: forward to seeing you develop that
1: yeah there's a um i did an article about it in shot in not in shot in technology and culture last year cool
0: all right well Um, people should definitely check that out yeah well thank you hannah this has been a great conversation as i knew it would be and thanks so much for your time today
1: sure it's been my pleasure it's been great to chat i really enjoyed it
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Peoples and Things, like most things in this world, depends on the work of many people. I want to thank my brother Jake Vinsel for writing the music for the show. I want to thank my buddy Juliana Castro for designing the logos for the podcast. You can check out her work at julianacastro.co. Peoples and Things is a production of Virginia Tech Publishing and the University Libraries at Virginia Tech. Production activities are supported by the Athenaeum, a space in the library that acts as a hub for digital humanities, teaching, learning, and creation. Joe Ford is the Athenaeum coordinator and digital humanities specialist at VT Libraries, and he serves as producer and sound engineer for the podcast. For information about other podcasts from Virginia Tech Publishing, visit publishing.vt.edu. I also want to thank you for listening. Thanks.